I see lots of people that have been down to Nicaragua. Okay, all the people that are Nicaraguan veterans, go ahead and stand up. Look at that. Not only Nicaragua, okay, you can sit down. Not only that, but out in the woods where, where we're at. Um, if, if you're not familiar with me and my wife, we go back with Pastor Jim a long ways, back when his kids were little bitty kids and everything. So it's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'll tell you a little history about what we're doing, and we do appreciate Life Journey Church. Um, they've helped us along the way, and they're taking on something this next year that's really cool. One of the things we're doing is starting a library because uh, you got to read, and people down there don't read. Even teachers don't read and don't see the need for it, but we want our kids to read. But on top of library books that we're always trying to get, we need books for the classroom, and believe it or not, they're hard to come by. But your church is helping us get books this year, and we are really thankful for that. Uh, my wife and I were in Nicaragua in the 90s, and we did a lot of children's ministry. We, did, uh, we had a Bible institute. We helped found an orphanage. We did uh, children's evangelistic crusades in different places. When they were, one time a volcano went off, and they had a bunch of refugees, so we all piled out there and, and did stuff. But we always had this... Uh, in Spanish, we say inquietude. It's like an uneasiness that it's nice to preach, but we, wanna, we want the same kids all the time. So we approached several public schools over, over time, and they allowed us to come in and teach the Bible regularly for a, every week to the same kids for a year. And that excited me because you get past the share the gospel and everybody gets excited to let's grow and let's do it. So when we went back in 2010, we... Before we lived in Managua, which is the capital, it's about a million and a half people. We moved out to a rural, rural area. It's about five hours out of Managua, and we wanted to do a school. And we have 150 students this past year. Next year, we'll, we'll add a grade, and we'll have uh, probably 175, 180. And we teach every one of those classes. We teach the Bible class to every one of those kids. We have them every week, and I just love it because... When you talk about God's grace and you talk about salvation, it's not just throwing it out there. It's just developing it week after week after week. And we just have a ball. I um, want to wish you all a happy 2014. And after listening to some of your pastor's sermons, my desire is that you all go through your trials with faith this year. The trials that you're sure to have. You all hear that sermon? You're going to have them? Okay, that's good. Um, I listened to... Uh, I love the way your pastor preaches because he preaches from the Bible. He doesn't just tell you things that are going to tickle your ears. He, t he teaches uh, what the Bible says, and we will be tried. And sometimes we're ready for it, and sometimes we're not, but we're going to be tried. And so you have a couple options. You can go through the trial with faith and get something out of it, or you can go through the same trial whining and get nothing out of it. But you're going to go through it. So the option is ours. Am I going to grow, or am I going to just be stagnant and not get anything out of it. Um, I'm not going to talk about that, actually, but I do want to read something to you. In James, the great trial book. Yeah, it's hard to use this Bible. I'm used to I should have brought my iPad. It's a lot faster. In James chapter 1, I want you to listen to this. He says, Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
Then he goes on and says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. One of the things that hit me one day is the context of this. We all use this verse about if you lack wisdom, ask God, but the context is in trials. If you look at James chapter 1, the whole context of asking God for wisdom is when you're in trials. And so you can use this verse when you're in a trial and say, God, I do not know how to go through this trial with faith. I'm asking you for wisdom, and you will be more biblical using this verse, and he'll give it to you because we're going to be tried. And then you'll have wisdom, and how can I get through this thing with faith and grow? So that's that. That was free. That's not part of I'm going to I'm going to share something today that's really old, but the Lord's put it on my heart. Uh, I want to touch the topic of prayer. And you guys have probably heard the verses I'm going to preach a hundred times, especially if you're older. And uh, But it's very practical for the next year and for handling your trials successfully. I was thinking about prayer and how we live in complicated times. Have you all noticed that everything's a crisis? Everything's an outrage? I mean, our society, we've become uh, kind of wimpish. You know, everything offends us, everything's this and that. But at the same time, times are very complicated and a Christian needs to learn to address everything in prayer. Uh, years ago, I, I had a study called the prayer reaction. And the idea was, when something happens to me, I need to develop myself to a point where my first reaction is to pray, not to get mad, not to uh, do the whole things we do, to react with prayer. And then you learn to be proactive with prayer, and prayer becomes a natural thing. But the problem is... Um, we kind of know these things, but we're kind of wishy-washy when it comes to prayer. And sometimes we get excited about it, and sometimes we don't. And um, I was wondering, why, why are we this way? I think sometimes because we don't see what we want to see. I'm praying for this. I don't see it. So, you know, you will never admit it publicly, but you say, well, why pray? I'm not getting what I want. Or maybe because we don't know what prayer is all about. Do you know... That prayer is not trying to convince God to do something that he would otherwise not do. Sometimes we see it that way. We're twisting God's arm. Prayer is not trying to convince God to do something. It's you lining yourself up with God's will and what he's doing. And we're going to actually see that today, how that works. Because our attitude or why we pray and how we pray is all messed up. And once we understand the biblical principles, it really changes. Um, Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Sometimes we guess at it. Sometimes we say, well, my God wants me to be happy all the time, so I'm going to pray this. And you may not have a scriptural base for for what you're doing. So we're going to study prayer um, from Matthew chapter 6. Do you have your Bible? Do you have your telephone? Johnny says, if you don't know what a nap is, get a teenager. I mean, it's worse than that. Get a seven-year-old. I mean, I watch my grandson. He's not even two, and... Um, he has that iPad, and he he knows exactly what to do. And I try to say, well, no, let's go do this app. And so I put it on, and he looks at it, and he closes it out, flips back, <laughs> finds what he wants, and goes in and does it. So anyway, turn in your app to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at what's called, we call the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer was prayed in John chapter 17 when he prayed for us. But this is the prayer he taught us to pray. Now, you all, you know this prayer. 
You've heard it. You've heard teaching on it. But I want to give it just a little different twist today to help us understand how easy it is to pray and why we get messed up when we pray and why we waste energy praying for things that we shouldn't be praying for and why we end up really trying to convince God to do something that, A, he might already want to do, or, B, it's, it's not part of his plan and we're just we're, we're wasting our energy. So if you have your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read it here. You know, back in the old days when, when Walter Magruder was young, the preacher could say, let's all read it together, and everybody had one version. <laughs> and not so anymore. Okay. He said, Jesus says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. But when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. We talk about trying to nag God to do something. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. We're going to come back to that. Because my question was, if he knows the things I have need of, why is he making me pray for it? Well, think about it. It's because I don't understand what prayer is about. That's why. Okay, we'll get back to that. In this matter, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, now we work with kids. So we do a lot of songs. Um, I'd want to teach you a song in Spanish, but it's pretty complicated. So we'll do the English version that we tried to teach to our fourth graders. I'm going to ask my wife to come up. The Our Father song for kids in English. Consider yourselves lucky. So I want you to pay attention, then you're going to have to do it yourselves. It starts off with Our Father in Heaven. So for Father, you put on your mustache. Hey, Latin America, everybody has a mustache. <laughs> what can I say? Okay, here's how it goes. Father, our Father, our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name, your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On the earth as it is in heaven, Father, our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debt, this is really Nicaraguan, our debtors, as we forgive our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And ever, and ever, and ever. Amen. Okay, stand up. Let's do it. <laughs> Who wants to come up and help us?
Uh, okay, ready? I, okay, let's get your let's get out your mustache. Father, our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Father, our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Very good. You want to hear it in Spanish one time? Padre, Padre Nuestro. Que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga tu reino y hágase tu voluntad, tu voluntad, como en el cielo, así también en la tierra, en la tierra, así también. It goes on and on. That's good enough. Thank you, honey. This prayer, um, just look at this really quickly. In the first couple of verses, it says, don't be like the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Uh, yeah, really, there, there you go. You, you do something, but it's, you do one thing, you think another, you say one thing, your heart's not in it. And he says that the hypocrites, when they pray, they just want to be seen. Um, it, and that's, and they, he said, you get your reward. Your reward is to be seen. Have you ever watched these politicians go to these prayer breakfasts? And they stand up and they talk and they go on and on. I'm always thinking, oh, my gosh. Well, they got their reward. They're, they're, being, they're being seen. And he says, um, but when you pray, just pray to your father, okay? It doesn't eliminate group prayer, but it's talking about a heart attitude. You're not doing it just to be seen. And he goes on and says, um, because the, the real reward that you get for praying that you want is not to be seen. You want to connect with God. I mean, if I just pray and someone sees me and says, oh, how nice, or in Spanish, you say, que lindo. I mean, what good is that? I want to connect with God. That's the reward we're after. That's why we want to learn to pray as, as Jesus taught us to pray. He says, and don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Because they think they'll be heard for their many words. You know, um, I hate to say this, but sometimes Christians are the same way. We'll take a verse and we just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And sometimes uh, it's not because we're full of faith, it's because we're full of fear. And we think if we don't say it enough times, God may not hear us or we might have to repeat ourselves. No, there's nothing wrong with being insistent, you know, because the widow was insistent, but it wasn't just repetitions out of fear. So we have to be careful of that. And it says, um, "For your, uh, therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And this is the verse 
that I got stuck on. If God knows what I need before I ask, why is he making me ask? It's because prayer is not just about getting what I need. It's about connecting with God. Uh, It's about doing his will. It's about understanding his will. It's about knowing more about him. And the reason... We, uh, I got stuck on that verse is because I thought, well, prayer is just getting God to do what I need. And that's, that's what prayer is about. And if he already knows what I need, why am I asking him? I mean, come on, God. Why are, you making, why are you making me do this if you already know? It's because the exercise of prayer is to know him better and to find out what he wants us to do on the earth. Now, the Father, our Father, the, the prayer, we're going to look at it really quickly. But you're going to see that it gives you a whole different perspective on prayer. It also makes it a lot less complicated. Okay, so it says, our Father in heaven. I want to explain something. The first thing is our Father. When you're talking prayer, you're not talking about what you need, what you want, how sick you are. You're talking about your Father. And this gives you perspective because if I don't know God as my Father... My whole time in prayer is going to be wasted. How many know the story of the prodigal son? You know, there were two sons, the good one and the bad one. Actually, the bad one was probably better than the good one. But the older son who'd been with the father all those years, and then he got mad when the prodigal came back. And you see this attitude and this bitterness came out. He had been there in the home all these years, and he didn't know the father as father. That's why Jesus says, when you pray... Pray this way. Now, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, you probably know this, but it's not a prayer just to repeat over and over again. It's a model prayer to show you how to pray. Because they didn't say, Lord, give us a prayer that we can repeat. I grew up Catholic, you know. You sin, you go to the priest, and you say, go say, go say five Our Fathers. Um, I heard a Guatemalan preacher say one time, What's up with this? You sin, and then your penance is, go talk to God. (laughs) What's wrong with this picture? But we would repeat the prayer over and over. But that's not what this is about. Because they didn't say, Lord, teach us a prayer that we can repeat. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. So this father thing is so important. The older son in the prodigal son story had no idea about father. He had no idea about relationship. And the father was a loving father. He didn't just turn loving when the prodigal son came home. That's the way he always was, but the older son didn't know it. So when we get to pray, the first thing we have to know is that God's our father, and he loves us, and I relate to him as a father. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you all, hey, you know, don't raise your hand. Have you ever thought, man, I really don't like myself? You know... A lot of people say, uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why did you do this, and why didn't you do this? So I was thinking one day, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, why did you put up with me? (laughs) What in the world were you thinking? Your grace towards me. There's there's this thing in us that makes it hard for us to relate to to God as our Father. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. And you just begin to say, Father, I love you. Father, I receive your love. And you begin to go from the prodigal older son to the younger son that says, you know, I'm a mess up, but you're my father. And you come back. Jesus said, this is the way you start to pray. The second thing, this can be a long prayer, isn't it? We waste, spend all this time on two words. Our father in heaven. Now, that seems obvious he's in heaven, but I want to tell you why it's so important. A lot of times when I pray, I'll say, God, I got this problem. And 
either got to have this or this. These are the two options. And which one are you going to give me, Lord? Because in my earthly view, this is what I see, two options. If I was in heaven, I would look down and say, oh, there's probably 25 different options. But this guy that's praying is limiting himself to two options. How am I going to answer that prayer? But when you start off your prayer, our Father, my Father, in heaven, what you're doing is you're orienting yourself to God who's in heaven, and he sees everything, the whole perspective, it's different. I'm not trying to manipulate him by my limited view. I'm opening myself up to his big view. Let me tell you about God. He sees everything, but through all time also. We know God's eternal, and sometimes we think eternal means you have a lot of time. It's just a big timeline, and you got a lot of time. But God is actually outside of time. He created time. So he sees everything in space-time from the beginning to the end, but there's no beginning and end to him because he's, he's got it all. And so when I start praying and I say, you're my father and you're in heaven, and I recognize that you see everything through all time, I want that to orient my prayer. You see, it's all the difference in the world. So all of a sudden, I'm not just saying, oh, God, you got to do this. I'm starting off by saying there's a divine perspective that I don't have, that you have, and I recognize it. And it makes prayer a lot easier. Now, it doesn't make it wishy-washy where you never pray specifically, but all of a sudden you get oriented. Let's go on a little bit more. Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's just plain worship. I'm recognizing God's holiness. Prayer, even when I have a need. How many have needs that you've had before the Lord for a long time and you still don't have the answer? Yeah, I got, I've got several going myself. But when you say, hallowed be your name, you are recognizing his holiness. And what it means is that your prayer, even though you have the need and he doesn't, it's a God-centered thing. It's centered on him and his glory. Do you see, up to here, we haven't asked for anything. We just said, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. I'm recognizing that even in my prayer that I need something, it's about you and not about me. I want to tell you a secret. When you learn that everything's about him, you will be more blessed. We've, got, we've had this man-centered gospel that is just not Bible. You go through this book from beginning to end, it's all about him. How many times in the book of Exodus when God would do something, he says, for my glory, for my name's sake... Uh, it's about him. Now, you may think, well, what's up with God? What's wrong with him? He needs all this glory. This is what God, his glory lifts us up. You know, um, one of the problems we have in education in Nicaragua, I, I call it the um, drive for mediocrity. We just want to be average. Parents want their kids to pass the class. They don't, they don't want to excel. And if you have that attitude in the school, you'll tend to pull people down instead of lift people up. Society is that way too. Poor people, you know, depending on your political philosophy, you can either make the rich poor or you can, or you can help the poor to, to go up. But a lot of times we try to do that with God. We try to pull him down to our level Instead of letting him pull us up to his level because it's uncomfortable. Well, when I say hallowed be your name, 
I'm making it about him, folks. It changes the game. And I'm putting myself in a position to be lifted up by God instead of trying to get him to be my servant and do what I want. Remember, prayer is not about getting God to do what I want. It's about me lining myself up with God's will. And so the, the, the cry of your heart becomes, God, that you would be glorified. I just got to be honest. In the American gospel, this is a lost fact. And they say, well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that is true. And I'm a beneficiary of that. I have everlasting life because of God. But it's for his glory. At the end, God brings everything under Jesus' feet for his glory. For the glory. It's, it's in the Bible. When you read the Bible this year with your Bible plan, whichever one you choose, you all have a plan cho- chosen? Look for that. And every time you see where God says, for my name, for my glory, that I might be lifted up, underline it and start to count them. It is shocking that we just, we're not trained to look at it that way, but that's what it's about. It's about him. This prayer, hallowed be your name, exposes a lot of time the idolatry I have in my heart because I make it about things and about my, my, my answers, but it's about him. You know, you can actually make God, the God, kind of an idol if you just try to manipulate him to do things. But he's God. He sets, he sets above the heavens. He's, he's our Lord. He's our master. He's also our Father that wants to bless us. But you've got our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. It's all about him. That's the way this starts. Then it goes on even more. I don't have a chance to ask for anything yet because I'm saying your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Uh, This is awesome because I'm recognizing before I ask for anything that God's will trumps my will. God's not interested in your will for his kingdom. He's interested in his will being manifest in your life. You take anybody here um, that's, let's take Riken because he's easy to pick on and stuff. He's a very unique guy. And God made him with a purpose. He has special purposes. Some of them are general, like he's going to be a witness to Christ wherever he goes. But he's got special giftings and special purposes that are unique to him. But he's only going to fulfill those when he finds himself in Christ with the glory going to God. And so when he prays, God, help me to do this and God, help me to do that. Before he does that, he needs to say, your kingdom come Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven in my life. This centers us on God's will. Now, like I said before, it's not lazy. You're not saying, okay, I just say, whatever, your will, your will be done. No, this is not a lazy prayer. It's a focusing prayer. It's one that gets me on the path to understanding what God wants to do. This this is not a prayer saying, um, God, help me to understand your kingdom so that I can use it to my advantage. It's your will be done. A lot of people like Bible principles. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of preachers uh, preach that like, you give and God's going to give back. Well, there's truth to that, but our motive becomes, I'm going to give so I can get. And that's not entirely scriptural. I give because God's God. And because he's generous, I'm generous. Because I'm like my father, he gives, I give. And he does bless me in the way, but it's all determined by him and not determined by me. There's certain things that I can determine, 
I can determine my attitude. I can make decisions, how I talk to people. But there's other things that are left for him. He opens doors. He closes doors. I go through the door, but he opens it. And so when I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is done in heaven on earth. I am actually opening up a whole new world for me that I wouldn't see normally if I keep this limited prayer thing. God, I need this or this, and this is the one I want. Folks, this year is going to be even more trying in the world than it's ever been before, but this is, this is our opportunity. Okay, what if I don't like his will? How many has that ever happened to you? You know God's will, and you say, that stinks. <laughs> I, just, I just don't like it, man. This is not, this is not what I want. Well, a lot of times that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, so we say, God, I, I need you to explain to me why I have to do this. Well, you get out of the faith realm when that happens because we live by faith, not by explanations. And if you say, well, I, I'm sorry, I need to know why I'm doing this. Well, you know, you just might not ever know that. And you might be stuck in a rut for a while because he is not compelled by anything to explain to us anything and sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't one of my favorite stories is in the first part of luke zachariah you know with elizabeth his wife they don't have kids he's an old man he goes in to do his service the angel comes and says you're going to have a son and he says well how can that be i'm an old man so what does the angel do he strikes him dumb he can't say anything and that's that's what he does the angel comes to Mary and says, behold, you're going to conceive, you're going to have a child. And she says, well, how can that be? And he explains it to her. So what's up with that? One guy gets whacked on the head and he can't talk. And, and Mary, you know, well, does God prefer women over men? I don't know. She gets the full explanation. So oh, don't worry about it. The angel of the Lord is going to come over you and you're going to conceive. And it gives her the explanation. Now, we don't know what's going on in their hearts, but God doesn't owe us explanation he wants us to live by faith because it says without faith it's impossible to what please god and you want to please god and if you know everything ahead of time then you don't need faith if god explains everything to me for instance our ministry in nicaragua if i could see the whole thing ahead of time and and just have all the money i need and to do everything i want and have good teachers that that come in and they're, they're not just looking for medi- mediocrity. And if I could have every, and see it all, then I wouldn't need faith. And I wouldn't please God. Isn't that weird? You think, well, God, if I had everything I needed, I could build this, I could do this, and, and I can just hear God saying, yeah, that'd be cool, and you wouldn't be pleasing me at all. We knew this missionary um, in Mexico years ago. He's still alive. I heard him on, on a podcast the other day. And... Um, he actually, he preached Live to Give. That was his message. He's known, his name is Wayne Myers, and he would preach that. And back in the old days, he would preach at Christ for the Nations. He lived in Mexico City. He didn't have a car. So Mrs. Lindsay, if you remember her from years ago, she'd buy him a car, and a week later, he'd give it away to somebody. And she said, that's it, Brother Myers. No more cars for you because you, you don't know how to keep it because he, he'd give it away. He, he was so successful in his ministry, he had a man come and offered to underwrite his ministry for the rest of his life, just to cover every expense. And what do you think he said? He said, no, I can't do it, because then I couldn't live by faith, and if I don't have faith, I can't please God. 
wow, I'm thinking as a missionary, whoa, man, why didn't he ask me? <laughs> but, but if you think about it, that would be because of a bad concept of God. What, my God, doesn't, he doesn't have to lay everything out. He just has to lay the path out. And the path is Jesus. And I follow Jesus. I live by faith. He opens door. He closes door. I make mistakes. He doesn't. Um, I have to, I, I could tell you, we've been there three years, and I would do a lot of things different if I had it to do over. I have a list, oh, huge list. Oh, why did we do that? And why didn't we do this? But when you walk by faith, you can get through that, and God will walk you through it. So this is it. Um, we, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. So do we, does Jim put a clock up here or anything? Oh, there. Oh, good. That's good, because I have to finish by two, he told me. so. Um, let's go on a little bit more. Finally, finally, you have Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. It's all about him. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Then he gets into the finally a petition. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the first time you ask for anything, but it's about... A personal need, not about a want, not that I have to have. It's give me what I need and daily. Like uh, Wayne Myers, the guy offered to underwrite his ministry forever, and he said, no, I'm going to live by faith. Give us this day our daily bread. It changes everything. And I want to show you a verse in Proverbs. If Write this verse down so you can look at it later. Proverbs 30. Because even when you're asking for your needs... It's still about God. Let's see. Proverbs 30, verse 7. It says this, and listen. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Now listen to this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food you prescribe for me. And another version says daily. Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What's the point here? It's still about God. He says, give me what I need so that if I have too much, I'll say, who is the Lord? See, he's worried about God, even in asking for his needs. Or if I'm poor and steal, I profane the name of the Lord. So even in asking for your needs, it's still about him. And if you, if you study this in Proverbs, it's going to shock you because it changes everything that we do. It's all about him. When you pray, even when you pray for healing, when you pray that God blesses your business, when you pray for your children, when you pray for your government, when you pray for your missionaries, um, it's about God. It's not about you. It's more about God than it is about your child. It's more about God than it is about your country. It's more about God than it is about your healing. It's all about him. And this is the perspective. And when I first saw this about in Proverbs, that even when I asked for the daily bread, it's about him, it just changed everything. What it does is it makes prayer a lot simpler. It makes your prayer a lot simpler. Because when you do that, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't forget it. When I realize that all that is about him, then all of a sudden all the stuff that makes it so hard to pray, 
and all the fluff that goes around prayer just kind of gets shaved away and you have a clear perspective. Now, Jesus, Jesus would pray all night about stuff. But he wasn't just trying to convince the Father to do stuff. He was communing with the Father. And so this, this prayer as a, as a pattern, you know, it's, it's an outline. The part that says, uh, our Father in heaven, Jesus might have spent three hours, you know, talking to his Father and, and communing with him. It's, but it was more that than just saying, God, I got 12 disciples. Judas is a bum. I know he's a bum. Everybody knows he's a bum. He's going to betray me. I know it. You know it. Why are you making me go through this thing with him again? No, he, he knew that it was God's will somehow in there. And Judas had a part to play. See, that, when you say your, your will be done, it, it, it allows you to even put up with stuff that you might not regularly put up with. And it helps you sort through stuff that you don't have to put up with. Well, let's go on a little bit more. Finally, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is the, the relational part that doesn't have to do with God, but it has to do with others. And it's a terrible prayer, actually, because you're limiting the way God forgives you. You know that? Forgive me as I forgive others. And that's the way Jesus taught us to pray, because it's really important that we forgive. Forgiveness is a whole other topic, maybe for another day, because forgiving people, Jesus forgave everybody, but he didn't trust everybody. He didn't, he didn't commit his life to everybody. He didn't put his life in the hand, except when God had him do things. But forgiveness is being able to, to let things go. But that, that's for another day. It's God-centered and other-centered. And then the prayer ends. For yours is the kingdom and the glory, or and the power and the glory forever and ever. It finishes recognizing God all over again. I want to tell you something. I know that most of you have probably heard this very same um, sermon taught before, but the God-centered prayer is what it's all about. It's what changes things. It will, you know, how do you pray? Uh, you see, for instance, you see things happen in the country. And I don't want to get political, but things that you don't like or things going down or this or that. And yet you read in Revelation that things are going to go bad. And then you see it going bad. Does it mean you don't pray or... You don't try to do right or you say, well, what the heck does it matter anyway? I'll just, I'll just do whatever because it's going to happen anyway. Or do you try to seek God and find out what he wants you to do in the middle of it? Well, that's what you do. You know, Daniel got hauled off into captivity. The whole nation was under God's judgment. Judah was under God's judgment. They all got hauled off to Babylon. They were there. And Daniel could have said, you know, I, I come from a crummy nation we got judged, we're over here, why even, why even go on? But what he did in the middle of everything that was going on is he sought God. And God raised him up and God used him. Daniel was, was an amazing guy because he was a teenager. He was a captive. And the next thing you know, he's, he's a top guy in the government. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes away and his grandson comes up, the one that had the famous handwriting on the wall thing. And Daniel comes up again. And then the Persians come in and they conquer everything. And Daniel rises to the top of that government. All these times, judgment and problems were going on, but he kept focused on God. Especially you young people. you got your lives before you. The world's going to have more problems, but you've got more opportunities than has ever existed. But you got to stay close to God. And you can't judge what, you can't judge what you see. You can't judge results by your own opinion. You have to just walk and let God sort those things out.
And, and that's how it works. It's a simpler prayer. It's less complicated. It has to do with God. It has to do with real faith, not understanding things. And it has to do with his glory. And I'm telling you, if we can, we can just rearrange ourselves just a little bit to understand that it's all about him. And I'm the beneficiary of it. And he's my father. And I, I you know, I'm in a family business. Um, the kingdom of God is a family business. It's not, you know, you don't buy stock options. It doesn't have a board of directors. You don't vote. It's, it's run by the Father, but I'm part of it. I'm one of the heirs of Christ. And you, the kingdom of God is, is what it's about. I'd like everyone to just think for a minute about maybe a prayer that you've had before the Lord that you've struggled with. Something maybe personal, maybe a family thing. Uh, I believe everybody here has a ministry. It may not be a pastor like like Pastor Jim's a pastor, but you have something, and you pray about it. Sometimes you give up because you think it's never going to work, but and yet inside you feel like that. Um, doesn't have to do with how young you are or how how old you are. It has to do with God. Um, we're getting older. You know, there's things about it that you can't do anything about, but I, I love it. I love my age. I love being able to sit down with 28. Five-year-old Nicaraguan kids in preschool, and tell them about the Lord, and they act up. And you know, when they come to kindergarten, they're always freaked out because they've never. A lot of them haven't seen flush toilets before, so they're always having to go to the bathroom so they can. <laughs> until we run out of water, because sometimes they don't have water, and then it really stinks. Oh, that's another issue. <laughs> but I want you to think about something you've had before the Lord, and. In your mind, begin to understand that your faith is in him, not in understanding how it's going to happen. We give up praying sometimes because we don't see how it can happen. Because we're looking at those two options. Instead of saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I want you just to think about that request that you have before the Lord and see uh, how you could orient. Everybody, just close your eyes for a second and, and just think about how you could maybe orient that to be a God-centered thing. It's about you because you're involved, but it's about Him and His will and His glory. Father, we just come before you this morning in Jesus' name and we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. I thank you that your kingdom is about you. And we we just have the privilege to be your sons and daughters, to walk in your ways, to live by faith and see you glorified. I pray for everyone here that has a prayer before you that they wouldn't give up, but they would come to a greater understanding how to make that about you and, and follow those scriptures. And follow the pattern that you've given us. Father, we exalt your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, stand up again real quickly. Pull out your mustache. Let's see it. Father, our Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. We always repeat this part. Father, 
our Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. God bless y'all.